Welcome to Living Water Radio. After the verdict, convicting former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin on all counts in the murder of George Floyd two days ago, the most common reaction I've seen is one of relief. Yet some leaders have said that the verdict represented accountability, but not justice. And one Fox News commentator said that the verdict was not justice, but please don't hurt us. What is justice? And how do we know when it has been done? My name is Pastor David Burkadall. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is a United Church of Christ slash Christian Church Disciples of Christ ordained minister focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California and in San Dimas, California for over 40 years. Today, maintaining our yard is my gym, and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of the 100 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. Between the two of us, we have over 80 years of ordained ministry experience. Check out our first Living Water radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. It's been said that there are four general kinds of justice. Distributive, deciding who gets what. Procedural, deciding how to treat people fairly. Retributive, deciding the appropriate punishment for wrongdoing. And restorative, which seeks to restore relationships to rightness. More than one kind of justice can be involved in any particular issue. It's been said that these can be found in four general categories, social justice, economic justice, political justice, and legal justice. Like the four kinds, these can also be intertwined in any particular case. Justice is often complicated. In the immediate aftermath of the verdict being read, many commentators expressed their opinion that the most convincing argument by the prosecution was, believe what you see. We all saw the tape. The whole world saw it. George Floyd was on the pavement, face down, handcuffed behind his back, and former officer Chauvin placed his knee on George Floyd's neck for nine and a half minutes as he said over and over, I can't breathe as an off-duty paramedic bystander told him that Mr. Floyd was dying, as Mr. Floyd called out for his mother, as arriving paramedics told him to get off him. But what did we see? Social, economic, political, and legal issues all came into play. How we see them depends a lot on our life experience. Seeing is believing. But believing is also the way in which we see. We don't see things as they are, except maybe in the most superficial way. We see things the way we are. I spent a year in academic exile during my college years at a small school in southern Wisconsin. It isn't there anymore, but the things I learned there are still vivid, and not all of them were learned in a classroom. I arrived early for the fall semester because I wanted to have everything unpacked and prepared when classes started. I was assigned to a triple room on the first floor, across from the door mother's, yes, they had those then, room. I was the first who arrived, so I picked up my bed and got everything unpacked and organized, just so. Not long after, a guy I later learned was from Texas came steaming into the room with the door mother, who seemed elderly to me at the time, but was probably way younger than I am now. She was trailing behind him, stooped and wringing her hands. 
He was shouting, If my grandpappy knew what was happening just now, he'd be rolling over in his grave. I ain't living with no blankety-blank N-words. Why can't I stay here? I think that the doormother was explaining that the other beds had been assigned to other students. I got the drift and said to her, Well, if that's his attitude, I don't want to live with him. I'll move upstairs. The look on her face couldn't have expressed more relief and near beatific gratitude. I moved my stuff upstairs and met my new roommates. They had both been gang members on the south side of Chicago. One had been a member of the Blackstone Rangers, and the other had been a member of the Devil's Disciples. The former had recently returned from Vietnam and still had shrapnel growing out of one leg. They had come to that college for the same reason I had, to keep moving forward. I saw another world that year. I saw it through their eyes. There were only six or so black students in a student body of around 600, as I remember. This was the 60s, and they weren't always welcome. We walked in a group whenever possible. There were threats. They took me to a hardware store and helped me pick out a knife for me to carry. They showed me how to carry it and how to get the blade out fast. They showed me how to carry a wire coat hanger and use it as a weapon, and to drop it if the police showed up. These were not theoretical skills for them. They didn't do drive-bys back in the day. They told me how their gangs went after each other with hatchets, in face-to-face, blood-in-your-clothes, angry fights with visible consequences. They called me Preacher Dave. I had seen racism. I was a part of a student exchange with kids from my high school in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, and kids from LaGrange, Georgia, a suburb of Atlanta. Theirs was a segregated high school for white students. I went back in the summer to work at a camp for underprivileged children, also all white. I was cut in the back of my neck by a white barber in the Atlanta bus station shaving my neck during a heated discussion about the civil rights movement and what I was doing there. This was different, though. This was seeing racism, large and small, and its effects on people I cared about, while not actually receiving it because I was white. I was there by choice and could leave any time. We all knew that. The students at that college were all around the same age, had experienced the same national history, listened to a lot of the same music, and were all there for the same reason, and that made the racism all the more unjust. I was blessed with seeing another point of view, however, and our point of view can have a huge effect on what we see. Justice, as most of us think of it, is not a major theme in the Bible and barely mentioned at all in the New Testament. Justice, as a word, is linked in the Bible to the word justified, a concept about which the Bible says a great deal. It is linked to the term righteousness. Justice in the Bible means doing God's will. Our knowing what is God's will is the work of the Holy Spirit, a metaphor which in the Bible is streams of living water. God's will is not something we decide. It is revealed to us through the Bible by the Holy Spirit. To be justified means to be put in a right relationship with God. That's at the root of what righteousness is about. That is something that only comes from God, and it can only have ultimate authority because it comes from God not human beings. Justice comes from a living relationship with the one true living God. It does not depend upon our point of view. It is absolute, 
because it comes from the transcendent authority that comes from and only belongs to God. The prosecutor in the trial of Derek Chauvin said that the case was not anti-police, it was pro-police. It was about justice for George Floyd and the restoration of the community's confidence that law enforcement was just that, nothing more and nothing less, that the police indeed exist to protect and serve, and that no one is above the law. Derek Chauvin will likely go to prison, and hopefully be led to repentance and new life, and I hope we can all pray for that. Prisons were once called penitentiaries, because the concept of incarceration was that it would lead to penitence, or repentance. I think it was Pastor Michael Fisher of the Greater Zion Church in Compton, who Sally saw saying on TV before the verdict, that we need to pray for Derek Chauvin's family, who, though innocent, is suffering now. And we need to pray for Derek Chauvin, who is also suffering. He needs to recognize what he did and repent of it, not just say he's sorry, but turn away from the things that led him to commit that murder. And I wonder, with regard to our own sins, how God regards us, if we would rather that God treat us with justice or with mercy. We can, I think, count on both because of the cross, the gift of faith that it made possible, and our baptisms. Paul writes to the church at Rome, the Romans, the sixth chapter starting at the 20th verse. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. Note that means being made holy. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is our message to the world. God's justice is not for just us. It is for all people. Repent and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. Seek justice where it can be found, in doing the will of God, revealed by the Holy Spirit, the streams of living water. The divisions we make between us are overcome at the root of our common humanity, by God, in our common relationship with God. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, starting at the 27th verse, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Doing justice is doing God's will. Righteousness is being justified, being put right with God, being made a new creation, being born again, that leads to action in God's name. Doing justice means doing God's will. As the prophet Amos says in the fifth chapter of the 24th verse, speaking for God, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We see the will of God being done when we see the already-but-not-yet kingdom or reign of God breaking into this world by God's grace. We see it in the transformation of our lives lived as children of God. 
We see it whenever there is a loving response to God by God's people, acting as members or as the whole body of Christ from a living relationship with the one true living God. Open your heart to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to wash and form you, teach and inspire you from within you as streams of living water. Live in such a way as to demonstrate the power of God within you to do God's will, God's justice. As the prophet Micah writes in chapter 6, verse 8, He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Today, let's remember to pray for those struggling for racial equality and for those who protect and serve. And let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer today, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at the Revs David and Sally at gmail.com or send us a tweet to at David Burkadal and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to the same addresses and we'll include them next time. Send your comments there as well. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated. Open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God, the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Ask a friend about it or a family member. Google it. Contact the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune in to the worship services they have available and support your church financially so that it will be there when we come back to fully physically present worship together. Support your pastor and church leaders. Pray for them and help them in any way that you can. If you or a loved one are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home, practice social distancing, wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Stay at home unless you are providing essential services or need them. Avoid crowds and be outside if you have to be in a crowd. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with, especially those who are sacrificing their security to provide for yours. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together during this global pandemic. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated. <laughs>